Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. If you would have visited our house in Spain in the month of January and sat in our living room, most likely you would have felt a bit chilly, and you would have probably been somewhat perplexed. But why perplexed? Because you would have seen radiator heaters on the wall of our house. Now, if you were the curious type, you'd have gone over and touched those radiator heaters only to feel, not warmth, but just cold metal. You see, we had radiators installed in a house a year before we left Spain, but the natural gas company that was supposed to bring natural gas to our town, well, was delayed in getting there. And see, that natural gas was to power the system. Well, but because of construction and politics, well, it just didn't arrive. And so we we had our radiators installed in our house. They looked like they would warm up the house, but they didn't, simply because they weren't connected to the gas-powered water heater that would pump the hot water in through the radiator. So, essentially, the, these radiators were useless and cold. And I think in a similar way, we can talk about the armor of God. You, see, we can understand what it entails intellectually, we, and we can think that because we understand it, that we're protected. But in reality, our experience may be very different because it could be that our experience is that, okay, I understand this about the armor of God, but I'm not experiencing the powerful gospel realities to which this armor points. See, so we could be in a situation that the armor would seem as cold and as disconnected as that radiator, those cold and disconnected radiators. See, this is how it will be unless we're connected to God, to God who is our life and our salvation, and how are we connected to Him? Through prayer. See, if we're to rightly appropriate God's armor by which we're enabled to stand firm against the enemies of our soul in this battle, then what's required is a life dependent on God in prayer. I don't think that Paul is identifying prayer as part of the armor. But he, I think what he is doing is describing the manner in which the armor is to be put on. We are to put on truth, put on righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and take up the Word of God. We're to do so prayerfully in utter dependence on our God. See, the truth of the matter is we are weak and helpless apart from God. And it's when we sense our great weakness in serving God, when we sense our weakness in our struggle against the evil one, against sin, that we're moved to prayer. And I think prayer is perhaps the greatest expression that we are needy, profoundly dependent on God. I don't think it's surprising to anybody, you know, that independent, Self-reliant, self-satisfied, self-sufficient people simply do not pray. And so I want you to consider with me then, well, we'll call it in three, three headings, the relationship with God in prayer, the, some characteristics of prayer, and then finally the encouragement to prayer. So first of all, the relationship with God in prayer. You know, just talking about this topic of prayer makes many of us feel uneasy. 
Because we struggle with prayer. We feel guilty because most of us would say, hey, I don't pray enough. And some of us struggle with prayer because we of, of a misunderstanding. Sometimes we think, well, if we just spent the right amount of time or employed the right techniques or said the right words, then surely God would make our lives run more smoothly and everything would be well. But we know that's not the case. Some of us struggle because prayer gets reduced to a duty. And the the reality is that if prayer is merely a duty, if it's something that we just feel like we have to do, it's an obligation, well, it easily becomes mechanical, joyless, and a drudgery after a short time. And I think Paul is driving us to see that prayer is the outworking, the fruit of our relationship with God in Christ Jesus. I want you to think about that. It's the outworking and fruit of our relationship with God in Christ Jesus. Look, here we are in the midst of a pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic. And there are people who don't normally pray, but they are praying. His fear is driving them to pray. But I suspect that for most of these people, there is no real relationship with God behind those prayers. These folk don't know who they're praying to. They aren't praying to their Heavenly Father, but to a God that they don't know, hoping that for some obscure reason, this God, this deity, will pull something out of the bag of His goodies for them and particularly protect them from being infected. But that's not how we pray, we who have faith and a relationship with God in Christ Jesus. No, Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, who are in heaven. We're not praying to a stranger. We're not praying to an unknown God, but to a God with whom we have a personal relationship, a God who has rescued us by His grace, a God who has sent His Son to purchase us with the blood that He shed, to a God who gives us truth that has set us free from sin's slavery, a God who has given to us a righteousness comes, that comes from Christ, by which a righteousness by which we are accepted. A God who has given us peace with Him and His own peace to dwell in our hearts. A God who has given us faith in Christ and the hope of certain salvation and His Word was sharper than a two-edged sword. The God who has committed Himself to be in a relationship with you and me. This is the one to whom we pray. In Romans 8, we are told by the Apostle Paul, he tells us there is nothing, there, are, there is nothing, no angels, no rulers, no powers, and we could add no virus, no stock market crash that will separate us from Him. He, this God, is our Father. He has adopted us as His sons and daughters, and He loves us. And not only does He love us, dare I say this, He likes you, He likes you, He delights in you and sings over you and promises to bless, to provide and protect you. So my dear friends, if you struggle with prayer like we all do, maybe, maybe the real issue is not a prayer issue after all, but a relationship issue and how we understand this relationship with God. And so I ask you, do you have a relationship with God through faith in Christ? Please consider that. Now, if we see prayer in the context of this relationship with God, I think we'll be able to see that prayer is a gift from our Lord and our Father. So let's look a few, at a few characteristics of prayer that Paul tells us about here. He says, 
We are to pray at all times. What a privilege. We get to pray at all times. Now, Paul doesn't mean that we pray 24-7 every minute of every, of every day. No, he's, he's speaking about how we are to pray in all seasons, on all occasions, at every opportunity. And the Apostle James bears this out. He illustrates this in James chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. You see, the devil is at all times, always looking for an opportunity to trip you up, to tempt you to sin, to try to disconnect you from God. So at all times then, we, God's children, must pray. So we pray not just in the morning, in our morning devotionals, which I hope you do, but pray also when you go to work. Pray before you enter a meeting. Pray while you're doing chores, your homework. Pray while you're making a meal. Pray while you're driving. You pray on all occasion. And I want you to understand this, that God will never say to you, it will never be the case that God will say to you, hey, you know what? You simply talk too much to me. Will you stop it? Give me a break. I know as parents, sometimes we say that to our children. We tell them to quiet down. They'd stop talking. But that's not ever going to be what God says to you and to me. So we're privileged to pray at all times, but also with varied prayer. Paul goes on to say, with all prayer and supplication. So throughout the day, we're going to encounter various situations, trials, temptations that will demand different ways of speaking to God. So there's prayers of lament. And so right now, in the midst of this pandemic, which we are experiencing, we, we can pray prayers of lament and grieve the death of image bearers around the world. And we grieve as well because of people in places like Cambria, in the assisted living facility, nursing homes, these residents who are isolated and, and, and as if just the fear of contracting some illness it wasn't bad enough, now they have to experience loneliness. And we grieve as well because of the fact that people in the midst of this pandemic, they're not trusting God. And so, my dear friends, we lament. But there's also prayer of supplication. We make known and bring to God the needs that we have and other people have. And right now, what great need do we have but that of, you know, praying for our medical personnel, for doctors and nurses on the front lines, for praying for those who are trying to come up with a vaccine against the coronavirus, right? And then, and then we have prayers of confession. You know, we confess that when, when we do give in to temptation, we go to God knowing that He understands and He is quick to forgive us. But we pray, we confess our sin. We don't hide it. You know, when, when in the midst of this, this trial, this situation, we find that there's a lot of disbelief in our own heart, then we confess that to the Lord. But there's also prayer of thanksgiving, when he, in fact, God does deliver us from temptation. Thanksgiving, when we go to the grocery store and there's food there waiting for us, and those, those shelves are stocked, we can give thanks to the Lord for that. There's prayers of adoration. To look upon the character of God, to turn our gaze upon God, and to see His magnificence and His greatness. What we need in this time are big thoughts of God as we see our smallness and the fact that we don't control much in life. 
that here is a God who's big and sovereign and controls all things. See, God is inviting us to speak to Him in all these different ways, not just when we need something. Parents, wouldn't you think it's strange if your children only spoke to you when they needed something? You know, they wake up in the morning, the first 15, 20 minutes of the day, they approach you and they just tell you what they need. And that's it. And they don't talk to you again until the following morning. That's not much of a relationship. See, just as we want our children to talk to us about anything at any time, so it is with our Father in heaven. And what this means then, as we continue, is that we must be watchful and persistent in prayer. So Paul writes, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. And Peter, picking up on the same theme in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so, we are to watch and pray. We will be attacked. We will be tempted when we least expect it. You know, years ago I was walking our dog, and some of you know, have met you know, our, our small, gentle creature, Nano. He passed away about three years ago. But, but years ago I was walking him along the sidewalk, and all of a sudden we saw a stray pit bull coming running over to us. Now that pit bull didn't attack immediately. But he looked like he would, and he made me nervous. So I picked up Nano. He only weighed 22 pounds or so. And I decided, you know, I'm just going to carry him home. And as I'm taking Nano and carrying him home, that pit bull is right by my side. And he just seems a little snappy, a little happy, you know, and wanting to get into Nano. So I have my eyes on that pit bull. I'm watching that pit bull. I, I can see there's a potential for an attack from him. All right. And then I and then what I didn't know, there's a car that was driving by and this lady then speaks to me from the car. She says, Are you okay? And she points out that behind me there's another dog that's running. Uh, presumably to attack. Now I wasn't aware of that dog. Now that last part of that other dog, that didn't really happen, but it makes my illustration, makes the point of my illustration. You see. You can be focused on one area, but we need to be alert. We need to be watchful. So imagine you're a stay-at-home mom. It's been a hard day. You know, working and teaching and cleaning and feeding and caring for your children. And you just have a really discouraging day. And you think about the things we've been talking about in Ephesians 6. And you go, you know, I'm going to put on the hope of salvation helmet. And so you have been prayerful and you've been diligent and quite unexpectedly, later on in the day, your spouse comes home, your husband comes home and all of a sudden he criticizes you for some little thing you didn't do and you find that you explode in anger. You see, you were prepared on one front but not prepared for that other attack. So God invites us, therefore, not to give up. Be watchful, keep alert, and be persistent with all perseverance. You may struggle with the same sin. You may give in to the same temptation time and time again. You may have been blindsided. But I don't want you to think that God says to you, Hey, you know what? I'm just going to give up on you. No, He doesn't say that. He says, You look to me. You pray to me. You pray with Velcro. And what do I mean? Well, you pray... 
with rugged stickability, with perseverance, with resolute determination, because I will hear you. This is our God. This is the one to whom we pray. And then he goes on and he tells us that we are to make supplication for all the saints. See, what he's telling us, and Paul, so Paul is telling us, is that God has placed us in a body, a community of saints, of other people who are also struggling against sin and the evil one. And so we're to look out for our brothers and sisters because we know this, that if they hurt, that we hurt along with them. If they fall into temptation. It affects the whole body. So we are to make supplication for all the saints. We are to pray generally for one another here in this congregation, in El Paso, in the U.S., in other nations. In Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, Paul tells us how he prayed for the Ephesians. So, so you can look at those verses so that you learn how to pray for others. But sometimes we know things specifically, like Paul does here. In verses 19 and 20, he tells us about how to pray for him in a very specific and personal way. Notice, in verse 20, he says he is in chains. He's his ambassador in chains. So here's the Apostle Paul. He's in prison. He's awaiting trial before the emperor. And most likely there's a high degree of uncertainty and restlessness because he's facing the real possibility of death and execution. But what I find fascinating is that he doesn't ask, pray that I might be released or pray that the charges would be dismissed and the, or that the emperor would die. He doesn't even say, hey, pray that an angel might release me in the night, just like he did in Philippi. No, he says, pray that words may be given to me. Now, when he says that, it's not that Paul doesn't know what to say, but rather, he's saying, pray that the gospel, the gospel would be proclaimed with clarity and boldness. Pray that the gospel would be proclaimed freely and fearlessly. That's what he's praying. Isn't that just astounding? He's in prison, he's facing death, and yet he's focused on God and the gospel. You know, you and I, we're living in a period of the heightened sense of the reality of suffering and death. And we can rightly pray for for the protection from sickness, that God would preserve us with good health for ourselves and our loved ones. But should we not, in the midst of this pandemic, also be praying that the gospel of peace and of grace in Christ would penetrate not just our hearts, but also the hearts and lives of other people? I can't help but think of Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher. In the mid-1800s, he was living in a period of a cholera outbreak. And he wrote, And now is the time for all of you who love souls. You may see men more alarmed than they are already. Avail yourselves of the opportunity of doing them good. You have the balm of Gilead. When their wounds smart, pour it in. You know of him who died to save. Tell them of him. Lift high the cross before their eyes. Tell them that God became man, that man might be lifted up to God. Tell them of Calvary and his groans and cries and sweat of blood. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them that. 
My dear friends, will you pray for opportunities to tell others of how Jesus, the Son of God, stepped into our diseased, sin-sick world to bring healing, to bring forgiveness of our sins, and as the psalmist says, to heal our diseases. But you may ask, how do I do that? I mean, these are hard times. These are hard times when I'm overcome with fear and hysteria as well. And life seems so out of control. I know, I know I say that I believe that God is sovereign. But the truth is that my professed belief doesn't align with my actual belief. And there are times I go into meltdown and my anxieties come up to the surface. And it's really hard for me to pray. So how do I pray like this? Oh, the Lord gives us an encouragement to prayer. As you see, God's not surprised by this, and He has given to us two blessed intercessors. Look in verse 18. He says, Praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that we are somehow going to pray in some mysterious way. But I think it means, at least on one hand, that we're helped by the Spirit to pray. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Isn't that wonderful? The Spirit interceding for us. And later on, well, that same chapter of Romans, chapter 8, Paul describes the Spirit as a spirit of adoption by which He allows us to cry out, Abba, Father. And also, we know, as remember from last week, we talked about the sword of the Spirit. We can't separate the Spirit from the Word of God. So to pray in the Spirit also means that we pray in accordance with the Word of God in light of the Scriptures. And this will keep us and guard us from praying in the flesh, not just praying for our own selfish needs. But the other intercessor for our prayer that God gives to us is Jesus. Not only did He send His Son for us to live the righteous life that we should live but can't, and not only did He send His Son to die the death that we should die because of our sin, a death that we won't die, but this Jesus, He was raised from the dead. He ascended on high, and now where is He? He is at the right hand of God. And what does that mean to be at the right hand of God? It means that He's in a position of authority. He's in the position of sovereign rule. And He is ruling as the Lord of lords and King of kings. And therefore, there is not one maverick molecule out of His control. We think about the coronavirus. What does corona mean? But crown. But I ask you, who wears the crown? It is not a virus. It is King Jesus. Who wears the crown? It's King Jesus. Who wears the crown over all of life? It is King Jesus. And Hebrews 7.25 tells us, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. This is our great encouragement. We have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus interceding for us. 
Oh, my dear friends, you see how the gospel that we see described in the arm of God changes the way that we pray. Oh, so put on the arm of God. Take some time. Pray through this passage, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. And let this God encourage you and bless you. Amen.